Welcome to Aetherius Radio Live, the hour of truth with Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze. A very warm welcome to Aetherius Radio Live, brought to you on Body, Mind, Spirit Radio on every third Tuesday of the month. Discover the cosmic message for this age, revealed through legendary master of yoga and world-renowned medium, Dr. George King, between 1954 and 1997. Today, your hosts, Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze, will be speaking about... Well, I don't really want to call it a subject. It's more going to be like an initiation. The title being Adept Number Six, Archetype of Transmutation. So, without further ado, I hand you over to Richard and Chrissy. Thank you, Thank Nikki. you, Hello, Nikki. Hello, Chrissy. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, I know that uh, we were talking about the fact that the U.S. Congress is now holding the first open hearing on UFOs in more than 50 years today. Yeah. And I did manage to, I, li- I listened to about half an hour of it. Was it dull? It was very dull. But one thing that kept coming out over and over again, every single person mentioned that their number one priority is safety and security. Oh, yes. installation and bases. So I sort of got the feeling, I don't know what you think, Richard, that they're trying to indoctrinate the public. (laughs) I'm sure. I mean, just so everyone, in case you're hearing this at a later date and not live, it's now 6 p.m., just after 6 p.m. UK time, which is 1 p.m. Washington time. And this morning, this hearing place i think it's the first one since 1966 and it was very heavily trailed and um, it was indeed a, a congressional hearing and for those outside america who aren't familiar with that that's senators and representatives i believe uh chrissy who come together and they were questioning yeah. two people one being a nape representing the navy and one representing i believe the pentagon I think that was all the Department of Defense, one of the two. Yeah. And um, frankly, I mean, it's I I also caught a bit and I've seen the sort of headlines. What I understand is actually that it finished an hour or two ago and then they went into a closed session and not available to the public. And even during it, a couple of our people here were listening to it. as questions came up that they didn't want to answer, they said, well, we'll do this in closed session. So it wasn't exactly the full open disclosure that uh, we'd all been hoping, you know, some had been hoping for. I think Chrissy and I have been campaigning on this for so long. Um, but what, what I would like to say, I mean, obviously, look, it's welcome, because I think one thing that did, does, yeah. did come over, I think everybody is saying this, is that it's no longer a pretense that they don't exist. And right. some of the sort of um, maybe not the official government representatives, but quite a few people, including congressmen, including former defense people like Luis Elizondo is probably the best known who's been involved in this in America uh, at government level, are coming out and saying, look, they are not all. They, they're, they're not American. I, I gather they said that they are not American experimental craft. They're not or percentage of them aren't, they're not Chinese, they're not Russian, and although they won't go so far as to say, yes, we absolutely confirm they're extraterrestrial, it's obvious they are. So that's a bit of progress. But as you rightly say, Chrissy, you know, they are now sort of making out again. It's a big defense issue, which is totally absurd. And that's something the Ethereum Society was way ahead on. I mean, well before Chrissy or my time, I hasten to add, in 1958, a transmission was delivered by Mars Sector 6 called Demand the Truth. A very interesting one. It is published in, in an early edition of Cosmic Voice. And he calls on people in this transmission to demand release from governments and virtually says that, you know, eventually they will start to be more forthcoming. And the progress we've had, and we talked about this before in the last couple of years, is they call them UAPs now, I've noticed, not UFOs, but however, unidentified aerial phenomena, just to sort of change people's focus so they're not so embarrassed, I think. But broadly speaking, 
they are definitely saying they exist and they're definitely saying they can't yeah. explain some of them and they're definitely saying they have capabilities beyond the capabilities of their own technology that's American or others. I understand, by the way, Chrissy, they did admit in it that China has its own UAP task force as well. That was also oh. stated today, apparently. So they're doing I the same, same thing, apparently. But anyway, way back in this transmission I mentioned, uh, in 1958, um, Mars Sector 6 did warn uh, very accurately what would happen. And I, I think the best thing is to to quote what he says you know first of all he says it must be and indeed is obvious to all governments upon terror which is earth that flying saucers are real are physical are friendly are extraterrestrial uh, they cannot truthfully deny this through their specially conceived carefully briefed proper gander organizations they pour out official denial in the news syndicates of terror then the ordinary man is left in the dark so he, he makes that very very clear um, but he then gives this warning and I'm now going to quote exactly what he says I would warn you though when some governments are forced by the masses to come forward with an admission of our existence they will try to prove to their masses that we are unfriendly I warn you about this before it happens so that you may be forearmed by this foreknowledge if we even contemplated taking the law into our own hands, we would have stopped science from e ever rediscovering chain reaction. This must be obvious to all right-thinking men. If this is obvious, and it must be, then surely from a, even a materialistic point of view, it shows we have good intention towards you all. We do not even intend to interfere with your free will. We could do so quite easily, within two minutes if that was our intention. We could conquer you quite easily in 50 seconds, if that was mm -hmm. our intention. Make no bones about that terror, but we would not dream of doing these things. It's our dearest wish, our greatest hope, that man upon terror proves himself the salvator of terror, proves that he, by such salvation, is ready to continue his journey through that experience called evolution. It is obvious that we are friendly, had we not been, you would not exist. That's 1958. Yes, friendly mm. yes. friendly is, is the word there, isn't it? Because it's yeah. now being released that, yes, flying forces are real, they're physical, even they're extraterrestrial, but the friendly is the word that's missing now. Indeed, <laughs> um, yeah. And the whole thing is tied up in defense. You know, so it's not like they have a sort of... Uh, a department for exist, you know, investigating extraterrestrial life and trying to open communication, it all comes under the Defense Department in the Pentagon yeah. and so on. Yeah. And so immediately there's an implication, this is something we're looking at because we're, we're, we're frightened, they're going to uh, harm us. And I mean, some of the cases that have come out, not just in recent years, um, absolutely prove what Mars Sector 6 said there. They have such advanced technology that they could easily take over the world. So they are obviously friendly, and I think that's a warning, which is coming true right now, you know, many yeah. years after it was delivered. What's that, 64 years later, I think? Yeah. It was interesting mm. what you said about the, the closed session because one of the people did say that we are fully committed to openness and accountability, but there yeah. has to be a balance that we've yeah. got to get the public trust while preserving the capabilities that you know are of national security interest. So what does that really mean? You know? Exactly. I mean, in, in the Ethereum Society, you know, we have to have a certain, and we do have a certain degree of magnanimity. You'll have to forgive us if we yes. sound very, very skeptical. About, I mean, they claim they've been skeptical, allegedly, for a long time. We're very skeptical about governments. And I think most people on Earth now are. Rightly so, and uh, we just certainly don't believe they're going to come forth now and just tell us everything. And they don't even pretend they're telling us everything. Otherwise, they wouldn't be going into closed session. But, you know, we welcome the change, the admission that these craft exist, the um, release of certain, certain videos. We, we don't know what they've really got, but they've released some things, some things that have allowed people to speak out 
Um, yes. For example, yes. take Luis Elizondo and Nick Pope. Uh, you know, from the, he's either working with the government or the government are letting him speak out. And although he's not making great revelations, to be honest, they are making it clear people like that. That the Nick Pope's from Britain, Luis Elizondo from America, having worked in defence departments, that this is a real thing. That it's not um, American and, and, and Chinese and Russian weaponry or anything like that. And it's an extraterrestrial phenomenon. That's a step, at least, Chrissy. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, so you're absolutely right. It is a big step. Yeah. And eliminating the stigma for pilots and military personnel and, and citizens as well to, to report. Mm. Um, another thing they said that's completely different, they've never had before, is a methodical approach, a scientific approach to all these phenomena. So I suppose, you know, that could be positive in some way. It could. And they're giving a percentage, and we don't know what percentage, of their knowledge. But as Dr. King always used to say, you know, knowledge is a very, very much more limited thing than wisdom. And, yeah. you know, you, you have to turn to an organization like us, and we are the oldest international UFO organization in the world, as far as I can tell. Um, and, you know, we are certainly in the public eye, I believe. And uh, we are the source of the wisdom about extraterrestrial life. Yeah, exactly. One thing that was never mentioned, or perhaps it was later on, which really surprised me, they never seem to mention the intelligences who man the craft. And this is where I no. think the public needs to come in and ask the questions. Yeah, indeed. Well, we're, we're, in this show, uh, we're going to be talking about an intelligence from another world who's been with us for oh millions of years is it could be uh, it could be billions of years i think it's 3 billion years possibly billion. that yeah that he's been on yeah. earth according to one reference um uh, an intelligence from saturn who's in a body a terrestrial body at least one anyway it could be more uh, it certainly appears in more than one form i believe and um, who is we, we, one of his names only is the Lord Babaji. That's a name, though, that gets very much mixed up because there are a number of people who call themselves Babaji who aren't this Lord Babaji. Um, he's uh, an absolutely wonderful, he's the greatest master on earth. He's not, in his true sense, by the way, limited to sex talking about him as he because the form that's known is in a male body on this earth but he as a Saturnian is not any more male than female or neither um, as we know of those of us who've had the pleasure and privilege of studying the nine freedoms which I do recommend to our listeners if you're not familiar with it I, I it's interesting you know that you know with the UFO thing we're talking about one of the connections that is sometimes made uh, with the Lord Babaji by some people, and I, I, you know, I, I can't confirm this to be correct, is that he is associated with one manifestation of Lord Shiva. And of course, Lord Shiva is one of the Trinity, and I must say, Chrissy, when I looked into it, I was very, very disappointed in some of the uh, stories fables whatever you call them that are out there about the hindu trinity because you know, you know i've got tremendous respect for the the vedic scripts and dr king had tremendous yeah, respect for bhagavad gita and, and so forth the ramayana and to see some of the depictions of these great intelligences as half animal is something close to some of the depictions of greek gods all mixed up with human emotion and and etc they've been debased but if you go to the purity of it uh lord shiva one in one form is certainly associated with a mountain uh, a, a part of the himalayan range called mount kailash also known as mount meru i think in tibetan writings um, it's a very interesting place that there's lots about it out there but one of the things Chrissy I've noticed about it is UFO activity by the way mm -hmm. there's quite a lot of UFO said to be yeah, mm -hmm. around Mount Kailash and there are even accounts of the Lord Babaji having a, an encounter there's one account and I, I can't verify that it's true 
that um, a U- and it's not a very old one that a, that a, a UFO came down and an intelligence that uh, wasn't humanoid. It seems in this description, it was um, serpent-like, but um, certainly friendly. Uh, bowed, basically, it seems, at the feet of uh, the. Uh, the uh, the foot, well, Lord Babaji was seated, uh, but at his legs or at his knees, he bowed, and Lord Babaji touched and had some communication with this intelligence, according to a disciple who was watching this, and then the uh, intelligence went back into its craft and flew off. So I don't know how accurate that is, but um, there's certainly accounts, and certainly there's a tremendous connection between UFOs, or Vimanas, as they're known in Hindu scripts, and Lord Shiva. Um, I mean, the most famous, probably, Vimana in history, certainly one of the greatest UFOs in history, uh, described in detail, obviously a large one, possibly a satellite, which appears in the Ramayana, uh, is, is, is one of the key elements of the Ramayana, the Pushpaka Vimana, was given by Lord Shiva to another person who deserved it. It was then stolen and had to be saved. In my opinion, that was the main aspect of the mission of Rama, not put over as the main aspect but it's certainly an aspect and and that particular craft or ufo or vimana was retrieved and then brought back again to uh mount kailash well thank you for giving that back yeah it's a little diversion but yeah yeah. it's interesting what what you said about the uh, three billion years i just found the uh the quote from a lecture delivered by uh, dr king in 1962, he said, a man who has been in one single physical body 3,000 million years, I think that's a billion. Right, that's it. Yes. And who, will stay on, and who will stay on this earth another 3,000 million years. And I've also heard, yeah. I'm sure you have, uh, an, or as long as humanity needs him to, which Indeed. is incredible. I mean, it's unimaginable to us, backward race, who Tis. doesn't understand this highest aspect of love, you know, sacrifice. Really, yes. is amazing. And and of course, he's. Sorry, you go on, please, Chrissy. Oh no, no! I'm saying how fortunate we are in the society to have learned so much about this of Lord Babaji's uh, Indeed. Yeah, who knew him? Yeah. And they had a tremendous love one for the other, and a tremendous respect one for the other. Um, in fact, uh, Lord, going back to the Lord Shiva depiction, which has a lot in common with that of Lord Babaji, because, as I say, one of the forms of them both is depicted as a sort of all-powerful supreme yogi. I mean, Lord Babaji is Lord of the Earth. He's head of the spiritual hierarchy. He's definitely came... He didn't come for humanity because humanity wasn't here when he came. Uh, and I would suggest he came for the planet, the Mother Earth, above all else. And, um, and, and I think we've got some interesting information that kind of corroborates that, haven't we, Christy, which will come up later in the show about his connection with the Mother Earth and, and later and her initiation too. But he was right. all-powerful in this depiction, supreme yogi, even revered by the rishis of old, who spreads his power in a benevolent and uncompromising way uh, from this, his retreat in the Himalayas, manifesting the light of spiritual evolution. And in the case of Lord Shiva, through the elimination of all obstacles in its way. And of course, that's why he's often depicted as the destroyer. Um, mm-hmm. And you could say, and I've only just come up with this one, Chrissy, we've moved from the age of elimination to the age of illumination. Oh, I like what that What say one. you? <laughs> <laughs> but it, illumination has to be a lot higher. <laughs> <laughs> it's long been yeah. and remains the, globe, uh, the goal of spiritual aspirants to gain a connection with this Mahavatar, as he's often called, at whatever cost, including physical life itself, if necessary. It's interesting, actually, in that wonderful book by uh, Paramansa Yogananda, Autobiography of a Yogi, he, he recounts one or two things about the Lord Babaji, and one of them is an incident in which a student climbed up in his pursuit and desire to be his student and was instructed by Lord Babaji to jump off the ledge of a cliff. You probably remember it. It's a, it on yeah. the face of it, to most people, it sounds incredibly brutal. But to the genuine searcher and the advanced searcher, which this individual obviously was, 
one life is neither here nor there. That they are they are in search of eternal nirvana, and uh, he actually, as a result of his faith in doing that, and the karma that he manipulated in obeying the Lord Babaji, he um, actually lived not a full life, but he was resurrected and, and came back. But it's interesting because there is an account in the old uh, Hindu scripts, by the way, of Lord Shiva pushing someone, a disciple of his, but who, someone who became a fallen disciple of his, Ravana, according again to some accounts, off a ledge uh, of, of this same mountain which is an interesting parallel. Mm, yes, it is. Now, so, Richard, um, yeah. I was going to ask you something. Uh, as we know, the Lord Babaji is like the epitome of spirituality. And yes. um, something that we aspire to, to follow. Uh, well, because he is the epitome, and we're coming into this new age, the Aquarian age, and with the initiation of Earth, there's a, a massive change taking place. And I know that... Um, you were talking about something earlier about the Lord Babaji and how this change is manifesting, which was so interesting. And I wonder if you could share that. Yes, I think, you know, in the nine freedoms, to the very best of my knowledge, there is only one statement made by Mars Sector 6, after which he says this, your internal vibrations have been altered by these utterances. Do not ever again slip from the path, for if you do, your fall will be doubly hard. Now, that's a warning, and, um, and just prior to that, he refers to it, says, guard well this sacred wisdom, for even though you understand it not, there will come a time when you will. And the wisdom he's referring to there is the change you're talking about actually and it's the change and it's it's a it's a vast topic it affects everything we do it completely explains why service has to be the order of the day not just on this earth but throughout the universe actually uh, and it's the change from creation preservation transmigration to creation preservation transmutation and that's why we're focusing, uh, in this particular program, we're talking about adept number six as the archetype of transmutation. It's obvious, to, it seems to me, I can't say it's obvious, but it seems to me that, uh, I'm sure it's not just to me, it, there must be very good reasons why the Lord Babaji in these days chose, agreed, if you like, to become one of the adepts, and these are uh, the adepts, the warriors who've saved us in the major battles, the alien mission, Operation Carmelite. Forgive me if you're a new listener. We can't go through those, but you will find details about those both at the Ethereum Society on our website, ethereus.org, and also in our literature and in previous shows. And after, it was in fact right at the end of Operation Carmelite. He played a massive role. He played, you could say, the massive role in that it was he who transmuted the most evil terrestrial um, incarnation or individual ever in history, an individual who may have even existed on Maldek from where humanity came 18 million years ago and been a dark force there, as he certainly continued to be here. And that uh, intelligence is given a number of names. One is Satan, of course. It was the final battle on February 24, 1969, when Satan was finally transmuted, and the master who fought that battle was the Lord Babaji, but he fought it, as adept number six, or let's put it this way, he then became adept number six, and after the battle, after that mission, remained adept number six, and is to this day known as adept number six, among his many other designations. And that's very, very significant, because he is now the archetype of transmutation. Uh, whereas in the past, he's been seen certainly in yoga circles generally, as an archetype of detachment, of uh, mastering the inner powers, 
of um, tremendous love, tremendous compassion, tremendous wisdom, the most, the greatest of all masters on earth, as I say, even uh, revered by the rishis of old, but not as a warrior, not as a transmuter so much. And he's now decided in this age, and I go back to that quote I gave there from the seventh freedom, uh, to adopt this persona, if that's the right word, this form. It's not new to him, and Dodd King has explained that. He has a history going way back of, of, of spiritual warfare. We need to talk a little bit about what that means, I think, Chrissy. But um, cutting a long story short, it is taking an active role as a transmuter of evil. And because he's done that, all the ascended masters on earth, without any exception, and all the spiritual aspirants upon earth, without any exception, um, should. I'll say in the case of the ascended masters, they do. They, they don't need to be uh, told twice. But in terms of humanity, all serious spiritual students now have to take that transmuting role as at least as part, as a manifestation of their evolution. That's an, uh, a sh kind of a shocking change. It's an amazing change, isn't it? Mm. And I think it, I was reading something, um, a lecture or an address actually from our master the other day, which helps, I think, us and listeners to understand what this means. And I wonder if I might just read a bit of this. Yes, um, please do. Please do. From that. Yeah. It's from an Operation Carmelite address in February the 24th, 1980. And uh, Dr. King says, can you imagine what it meant to the adepts, especially somebody like Lord Babaji, when he had to, for your sake, kill, even though the way he did it was illegal, according to the law of karma, transmutation. Even though when he did this, he had no hatred in his heart whatsoever, but still, it must have been against many of the spiritual aspirations of Babaji, if you knew him as I do. You'd know that. But neither, even in the light of all his spirituality, he could not dodge the last great showdown in Operation Carmelite, the time when he had to meet face-to-face -face in mortal combat, in mortal combat. This means fighting when he had to meet face-to-face -face the last aspect of Satan. And he won. And let us thank God he did win. And our master goes on to say, there comes a time when one does have to fight for one's belief. There yes. comes a time when one has to stand up and be counted. Useless sacrifice is no good in this respect. Had the adepts sacrificed themselves, Carmelite would have been lost. And by now, this earth would have been in atomic ruins. Brilliant, Chrissy. And I think a key statement that you've just read there, the, the words which I wrote down as you read them, a legal transmutation, in case anyone misheard it, it's not illegal, it's a legal transmutation according to the law of karma. And that's the big difference, that these battles fought by the great masters, by the adepts, are done with karmic permission. They aren't uh, like the wars we have on this earth. And it strikes me as very interesting, Chrissy, that uh, Dr. King himself, who is a great warrior, and we can now say that he was one of the adepts too. In fact, he was adept number one. Uh, he, um, and that was not in his physical body. When he left his body, he joined up and became that aspect. All the physical body was a part of adept number one, has to be said, as Dr. George King. But he was on this earth, on this realm, a conscientious objector. He was a pacifist. And it's very interesting, isn't it? As it's like, it, there's a saying, actually, I think he once said that in order to be um, a true pacifist, you'd have to be able to fight. It might also be that to be a true spiritual warrior, you must have, been, you must have demonstrated pacifism. Because then you're coming right from the right place you're saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to fight, I'm not going to kill, unless I have karmic permission to do so. And none of the wars fought on this earth um, are fought with karmic permission because people don't have the ability or to, to gain that permission. Um, so it's a very different thing than we might 
we might imagine. I mean, in fact, Dr. King made a very interesting statement that it was essential for the Great White Brotherhood throughout the centuries to be completely pacifistic. Um, they had to have that as an essential, and this is the phrase used, reactory principle to the average thought mm -hmm. of mankind. So they weren't wrong, and although he wasn't their, as it were, political leader at the time, he certainly is now, but he was certainly their spiritual leader, that was what was being demonstrated for, for a very, very good reason. Uh, and, that, and that has changed in this age of transmutation. Thank you, Richard. I think it's time for a break now, and we'll carry on afterwards. Absolutely. Well, gosh, thank you, Richard and Chrissy, for amazing and they keep continuing in-depth revelations about such an elevated being. Thank you. You are listening to a serious radio live with hosts Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze talking about adept number six, archetype of transmutation. Well, we still have a few more days of the magnificent energies pouring down from that shining temple, satellite number three, during which all spiritual actions performed with a selfless motive are enhanced by 3,000 times. Sadly, it will be leaving orbit of our world at 12 midnight GMT on May 23rd. So please feel welcome to join with us in our special service to mark the last hour of the first spiritual push for 2022. This will be live streamed from the Aetherius Temple in London led by Right Reverend Richard Lawrence. So let us continue to make the most of these wonderful energies in these remaining days. As always, you are warmly invited to join in with our service held during this period to send out much-needed spiritual energy to our world, details of which are on Aetherius.org. Wednesday, May 25th, sees another King Yoga Experience event to be live-streamed from the Aetherius Temple in London, which starts at 6.45pm BST, which will be led by Darren Ball, and is entitled, Awakening Your Psychic Powers. So again, more details on Aetherius.org. On the next Aetherius Radio Live show, on June 21st, Chrissy will be joined by her guest, Brian Kniep. So that's for it. That's it for now. And I'm very pleased to hand you back to your hosts, Richard and Chrissy. Thank you, Nikki. Hello, Chrissy. Hello. I wondered if we might talk a little bit more about this change from trans migration to transmutation. Um, yeah. Because in the past, as as you, as you know, it was the evolutionary path for humanity to take. And mm. now there's been this huge change. And it, it was the fact that the material world was just illusion that was taught and, and you know, is true mm. in a way, yes. But in order to advance, one, has, as you mentioned, has to, had to destroy or eliminate that. And now, of course, instead of elimination, we're into illumination, which is great. <laughs> but, um, I wondered if, if we might... Uh, talk a little bit more about that. Why this? Why in the past it was acceptable, and not now, for example. Yes. Well, um, humanity I've... wasn't perhaps Sorry. humanity wasn't ready for it, or it seems that way, doesn't it? it uh, you know, I could give my opinion, and that's all it is—is is an opinion. That in the past. Um, well, I'll just put it bluntly as a way I see it, and I, I can be wrong here, but humanity is essentially so selfish that, need, that it needed, or we needed, a kind of uh, a, a selfish motive almost. Even though it's a spiritual path, the motivation is always, you know, well, you can leave all that behind. You can, you know, take up your begging bowl in the old days. You have, don't have any of those responsibilities. You just focus on your own spirituality and your own development. And the rewards are wonderful bliss, complete freedom, nirvana. And you just separate off and, you know, join up with the divine. And, it, you know, it's, a, it's a very appealing to a sort of selfish-minded person which humanity is, sadly, who wants to take to spiritual things. 
as against look go out and help your everybody you know get stuck in in the serve in the clatter in the noise in the bad vibrations in the you know um, fight evil by speaking truth by radiating light not by the way by killing we aren't suggesting that at all we're not in the position of the adepts uh, at all to do that but certainly by radiating light and by praying and by speaking truth those are some weapons in the armory of a spiritual aspirant in this day and age um, and it's an interesting I think a lot comes back Chrissy in my again in my view to a very important event which took place on November the 1st 1956 and it was a council meeting uh, which commenced on Shambhala at which certain major decisions were made for the future of life on earth and in it in the in his editorial in cosmic voices uh, dr. King described this revelation of this meeting to be and I quote the most vitally important announcement of modern times and it was interestingly the intelligence that revealed that some of the attendance was Mars sector 9 not intelligence we come across very often. He revealed it would be attended by the Lord Buddha, the Master Jesus, the Ascended Masters M and KH, among others. But the stupendous revelation made by Mars Sector 9 was that it would be attended by two Lords of the Sun who would travel in a vehicle from the Sun to Shambhala. Now, to the best of my knowledge, it's the only meeting that I know of or any type of meeting in which has been attended on this earth or connected to this earth, as Shambhala is, by Lords of the Sun. And for those who are familiar with, and I'm not saying it is the only one, it's just the only one that I can think of or know of or have come across. Now, when the initiation of Earth took place, which again, regular listeners to Ethereum Radio Live will know about, this was done, of course, through a Lord of the Sun. And tremendous measures had to be taken uh, for that Lord of the Sun, even from a distance, uh, to bring, you know, not to destabilize the the solar system and so on by its very presence. Now, okay, that was a very different thing. That wasn't attending a meeting. That was radiating massive powers to this Earth. So it is different. But here we have that meeting attended by two Lords of the Sun, above even Lords of the Saturn. I don't know, but I would be surprised if the Lord Babaji wasn't at it at that meeting uh, it, it would certainly surprise me we don't know we haven't been told but i'd like to focus on just one decision that was made at the meeting and it was described by the master Ethereus in these words and i quote a new language will be brought into being this is to be the language of direct action the decision was made in this way so that all who heard it could meditate upon that sentence exactly as pronounced i'll read the sentence again this is to be the language of direct action now transmigration the old way is not direct action i actually don't know when that uh, way that path was introduced the, the, the path of transmigration and this is why of course uh, Shiva, Lord Shiva, was is depicted as the destroyer. He's destroying all the obstacles mm. in the way, the material obstacles. And as you rightly say, in the old yogas, they're offered this world, this material world, is regarded as maya or delusion. Whereas I much prefer, I think it's greatly enhanced word, brilliant word, by Mars Sector 6 in his Meditation for This Age. He calls it a reflection. I think that's more balanced, more useful, more revealing. It's not, he says, it's not the life. The life is, and I, these are my words, but this is what he's saying, is the energy level. Uh, but the material level, the physical world, this is the reflection that you see with the two eyes. And that, I think, is a more useful way of looking at it personally, especially in, with this language of direct action. So transmigration is not direct action. It's detachment from action in the physical world to even detachment from basic thought and when cosmic consciousness was attained through it which it was and ascension was too and ascension in the sixth freedom which is ascension the word transmigration is used by the way still used in the sixth mm. freedom talks mm. about 
Yes, terrestrial man climbing from the pit of terrestrial rebirth so that he may then unhampered begin to climb the mountain of transmigration. So that was the order of the day. It, then we get this big revelation in the seventh freedom where, as I say, we're warned not to slip from the path again having heard it. It's now transmutation that's given to us. Uh, but at its zenith, detachment from all mind could be obtained. Cosmic consciousness, timelessness could be attained. But now the new language means engaging in a world of physical and mental experience. Uh, and the purpose is to transmute. So the more I think about it, it is a change from elimination to illumination, actually, Chrissy, because it, the transmuting force is light, and it raises it, and it raises it to a higher level, and it's a much more complete concept, which Dr. King, and this was a shocker when I, I was absolutely stunned by this, said, even applies to a galaxy, a galaxy as an intelligence. Even a galaxy cannot transmigrate its way back to God. It has to transmute all matter within it. So I, I would conclude, really, that the great change from transmigration to transmutation, which was announced by Mars Sector 6 in the Seventh Freedom, was really initiated in essence as a language of direct action. Different phrase but has the same implication at this council meeting and done on the authority of, as I say, Lords of the Sun. Um, he says that they landed on Shambhala to give their light and love to the beings of the Great White Brotherhood so that the whole earth may reap the benefit. So it was obviously a, a language even for them too, even for the wonderful, compassionate ascended masters without whom we wouldn't exist for longer than certainly seconds maybe certainly a few minutes uh, just by their very presence here even they are going through change that was an absolutely stupendous meeting Richard we have no yeah. idea on this planet do we that certain no. major decisions for the future of all life on earth were made uh, at this very very interesting concept that you're discussing here these yeah. years in the 1950s were so powerful, weren't they? It's the beginning of not they only were. the Sierra Society and Master's mission, but so many other missions took place as well at that time. And I was just going to ask you, Richard, what you thought. We know that the Sanuk Kumara was replaced by the Lord Buddha, and it was very interesting that he was there, that the Lord Buddha was there at this meeting. Do you think, I mean, obviously this is just an opinion, but I wonder if this was the time also when this replacement took place? or. Well, I don't know, and it's a very sad fact, and we might as well come clean about this, uh, and it's not on our watch, because it's way back, and it certainly wasn't on Dr. King's knowledge or done with his permission, but the change, which you just mentioned there, from the Sanic Kumara, who'd been here for 18 million years, who may be the intelligence, and I say maybe because I don't know at all, uh, who introduced that path of creation, preservation, transmigration, if, because it, was, it must have been absolutely essential for humanity. Humanity, as you rightly said there, Chrissy, cannot have been ready for this higher path, more complete path of, of transmutation, because it involves service. It involves getting your hands dirty. It involves sacrifice uh, before you ever attain cosmic consciousness, not after. But... It's interesting, as you say, that the Sanic Kumara, and I don't know that particular changeover, if that's the word, from the Sanic Kumara to the Lord Buddha, which happened in 1956, so it's the same year, was done at that time because the recording of that event, it was recorded, it, there was a transmission through our master describing it, has been lost, and I've been told it was copied over by somebody who I won't name, mm -hmm. uh, in those, uh, who's not a physically alive now, in those early days. So that's a tragedy, because we would have then had a description of the Sanic Kumara himself, uh, but anyway, we can't do anything about that. But yes, certainly he was replaced by the Lord Buddha. And I think that's very, very interesting, that change. And it shows, I think, uh, the sort of absolute perfection of balance in the cosmic plan. 
because we associate on earth at least from his incarnation at least uh, the Lord Buddha with the inner path the inner path of peace uh, the inner path of detachment from material things and he was very very strict I think we underestimate how strict and uncompromising he was with his close students even family members um, it was very impersonal uh, in his approach in order to help them to attain enlightenment um, it's got watered down like all the religions have got watered down some have been modified um, but he is associated with that inner path and isn't it interesting that at a time when the Lord Babaji has adopted what I'm calling the archetype, if you like, the representation, the, 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 the sort of uh, manifestation of transmutation in his persona as, as adept number six, and, all, and his involvement, which continued with the six adepts thereafter, and as far as I know, it continues to this day. I mean, they, all, they are all revered, for example, on the planet Gotha, there's, there's a flame to them on the planet Gotha. We've talked about Gotha before. Please do look it up if you're interested. They have a shrine, do they not? Or uh, actually, it's a flame, isn't it? To the six adepts, even though at that point, the Lord Babaji wasn't among the six when that battle took place. They must have known uh, that he was absolutely interconnected with them. So at the same time as you have this going on, this direct action, this transmutation, this fighting the evil, um, where the Lord Babaji is now in, as well as spiritual head, political head of all spiritual intelligences on the surface of earth, without any exception, everyone on earth who has any intelligence at all should defer to Lord Babaji if they're able to, if they're given that opportunity to. Um, at that same time, you have the Lord Buddha brought to Shambhala to hold a flame there uh, who is connected with the inner path. And that's such a wonderful balance. You know, it reminds me of that quote from the Master Etherius, 1957, reach outwards, reach upwards, but do not ever, my brothers, please forget to reach inwards. For although the outside world has much to offer, it cannot offer you one small part of what the inside world can offer you. So perfect balance, I would suggest. Yeah, it's so fascinating, Richard, that no longer is the inward path the main one on this earth, as it has been. And this change was initiated at this time through the great masters of earth, and presumably then through the higher realms down to this physical plane. But it's also interesting yeah. that it still hasn't yet really manifested in, certainly not in the New Age movement yet, that no. this is the new path. And so this is something, of course, the Ethereum Society, our motto is service is the jewel in the rock of attainment. Yes. Um, well, I, I, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, just as a little um, aside, really, uh, and it's kind of humorous, but it's also a bit sad, very sad. But anyway, we'll look at the humorous side of it. I received um, a, a release from a very leading New Age journal in the UK. I'm not going to name it, um, but they did send out a release telling us, the listener, the reader rather, how we could uh, charge up our third eye. And it was a particular way, the way to charge up the um, third eye or the Christ chakra, as they, as they refer to it. And the way was... Um, and the answer was to make a certain particular type of smoothie. They even gave the oh, recipe. No. Okay. They gave the recipe. Uh, yes, you have to have, I can't even recall it now, but, you know, a certain amount of papaya or whatever it was, a certain amount of this, a certain amount of that and, and the other, and drink it. And, um, yeah, so I'm afraid the New Age movement, um, even the well-intended, well-meaning New Age movement, is miles away uh, from yeah. these great happenings that are going on. But as you right, I agree with you, it must percolate through the realms. I would think it must cause more um, direct action from higher realms with lower ones, because that's the example of the adepts. Right. I mean, the adepts went down into the lowest ones. But I, I would suggest there could well be far more interchange now between, um, and permission given, possibly, for higher realm intelligences to travel to lower realms to educate, teach, to heal, and so forth. 
it's a whole ongoing program of direct action. I mean, this is where we need as many people as we can possibly get. And, you know, sometimes I hear people say, Chrissy, you know, in the other realms, there's all these people, they see the light, so when they reincarnate, um, they'll come down and do Operation Prayer Power, whatever it might be, you know. And I'm sorry to have to say that it's it's very different thing to do it there on those higher realms if you're advanced enough to be on them and all due respect to you than to do it here and i think they the real advanced ones know that they know it better than we do and they really appreciate it yeah there's so many distractions i think <laughs> and mm. so many false teachings only the other day i was incredibly amazed to find that this uh, quite well-known New Age teacher, and again, I won't mention her name, uh, was receiving messages, and she said that she had received messages from the karmic board who told her that she should tell mankind that we no longer had to worry about karma, and these are my words, because karma no longer existed. A negative karma, you know, we didn't have to worry about it. And uh, it was something that had been taken away from us, kind of thing. And uh, yeah. so... Life is great. This was prior to, I must admit, it was 2017, prior to COVID, uh, the war in Ukraine and so on. So things were pretty... She couldn't have been more wrong. Um, and, yeah. and it's, you know, it's a short-term popular message, like a message like you can get anything you want. That's a popular message. You can get yeah. what you need. Yeah. isn't so popular. But as Dr. King said, you know, he lost a lot of following by speaking the truth. But continuing with our theme, I, I just would like to mention one other significant thing, which I think is definitely related to ADEP number six, the archetype of transmutation. And that is a move that was made on September the 2nd, 1968, in Operation Carmelite by the five adepts, as they were then, at the instigation of ADEP number one, uh, which caused the Lord Babaji to assume assume political leadership of the Great White Brotherhood, as I mentioned, which he did. It was a result of this, and it was a more active role in certain respects than being their spiritual leader. Although, I must say one thing that the Master of Theorius said is very interesting to me. In his the Star Pupil Transmission, uh, during the, which is about Dr. King, which is published in the biography, but in the course of it, he does mention the Lord Babaji, um, and he says that uh, one thing he says is that Dr. King uh, is uh, he's the only one who's equal in spiritual matters to Dr. King. He states that, but he also says that he's the most active of the ascended masters. And I think that's interesting because the master is not the first word you might have thought of in the old days. You might have thought of wise, no. compassionate, you know, uh, forgiving or. But in, in, he uses the word active, which obviously, as far as the master of theorists is concerned, is the most important thing to be. Um, oh, but on this event, yeah, on September the 2nd, 1968, a move was made which caused the Lord Babaji to state to adept number one, and this is the exact statement, and I quote it now, number one, I owe you more than I owe any man upon earth. Make sure that I repay this to you. And it referred to uh, an education of the Great White Brotherhood into the need to defend themselves. Not actually to go out and kill, but to defend, actually not even to defend themselves. Because um, he has also stated, Dr. King, that they couldn't, you couldn't really, unless they allowed themselves to, they, could, that they wouldn't be killed. But however, having said that, you know, under certain conditions, they could be, I'm sure, in certain forms of combat. Um, but they're above that. But it was the, not the protection of them as individuals, but the protection of their power batteries that was a concern, and those being stolen and misused. And as a result of that, a lesson had to be taught to them. It was a lesson which... Um, was very difficult. It was one that grieved the adepts to do, by the way, because such is their love and respect for the ascended masters. But they had to show them that they needed to take more of an active stance in protecting their retreats from 
dark force attack, which could happen, particularly in a, in a battle like Operation Carmelite that was going on. They gained permission from the Lord Babaji to do this beforehand, and they had to do it very quickly. They didn't have time, because a lot was at stake for the weeks of discussion. And Dr. King explains this, and so they, they, they taught it through demonstration. And it was as I say, a big sea change done with the Lord Babbage's permission, but he um, also uh, has, has brought about quite a reorganization as a result. And again, it's in line with the direct action and the transmutation principle. Absolutely. You talk about their batteries, uh, Richard, you're you're talking about the, their batteries of spiritual energy just for the listeners, right? Yes, thank you. No, thank you very much. Exactly, yes, yes. Power, spiritual power batteries that could be used to send energy out to the world and bring tremendous miracles, even though people wouldn't know why those miracles happened uh, around the world, yes. And they were under threat from attack by dark forces. And because of their, and again, Dr. King does explain that they weren't wrong. So you can see why they could be rather perturbed to have a lesson taught to them in that way, but they took it. Uh, I think there's a phrase there, there, some of their feathers were ruffled, the dove's feathers were ruffled, but they are wonderful intelligences. They understood it. The Lord Babaji didn't need any explanation, has had that kind of experience in his past. Bearing in mind, you know, the Lord Babaji, that intelligence is, I don't know, maybe a two thousandth, maybe a 3,000th part of a Saturnian. And that's the highest planetary intelligence in this solar system. Well, thank you, Richard. I mean, this is coming to the end of a really amazing show. I mean, when you've discussed the, the new language for this Earth that was, and when that took place, the change from transmigration to transmutation, this language of direct action being uh, representing that, um, so a lot of revelations that you've given us, Richard, and a lot of your own thoughts, which were some very fascinating insights you've passed on. And yours, Chrissy, really, and yours, too. Any and, and, final words that you'd like to say? Yes, I'd just like to close by saying we, we should hold this great Lord with tremendous reverence. Uh, he's, and it's just a, a wonderful thing. It's a terrible thing for him, I have to say, but a wonderful thing for us that he's even on earth and he exemplifies mm. in his being the exact path in every aspect that we should follow he should be revered he should be praised i'm sure he doesn't wish this uh, he should be followed and he probably doesn't wish that either but by everybody on earth and the day will come on this earth when every single man woman and child if there are still children at that time of our evolution will worship and revere and follow this great Lord of the Earth. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. To, a wonderful way to close. But I must just quickly great. say, by the way, Chrissy, I did mean to say, we are doing, for the first time ever, a pilgrimage in honour of the six adepts and uh, members and sympathizers are who, who, who respect and uh, revere the six adepts are warmly invited to this it's on holston down in north devon it's on july the 23rd which is the exact anniversary of the charging of that mountain the beginning of operation starlight in 1958 and we'll be going there for that express purpose we'll be doing six services on that mountain with mantra and that one will be devoted to each adept, one of those services, and it will culminate in the sixth service, which will be dedicated to this great Lord archetype of transmutation. How wonderful that will be. Wish I could be there. I wish you could, Chrissy, because you've been yes. on so many. And your yes. great husband, Gary. It'd be lovely if you were both here. Yes, it would indeed. So anyone who's listening, look into that because there's nothing like a pilgrimage on the whole stand down. And this one sounds like a fantastic, fantastic.
fantastic one. Yes, usually we go up there to send energy out for healing and world peace, and of course we're doing that all the time, every day. And uh, we normally often we take a prayer power battery there, although that didn't always happen, as you know, in, in Dr. King's lifetime. Sometimes we did, sometimes we didn't. But this time, for the first time ever, we're going to focus entirely on the six adepts as the focus of our devotion and pilgrimage. Wonderful. Thank you. Mm. Thank you. Well, thank you, gosh, Richard and Chrissy, for such an amazing show. This truly has been an initiation for us all. We certainly look forward to that pilgrimage in July. Absolutely very exciting, very exciting. As mentioned earlier, for the next AR, a Sirius Radio live show on June 21st, Chrissy will be joined by her guest, Brian Kniep. And if you would like to find out more on the facts mentioned during the show, please do visit Sirius.org. All the details on there and forthcoming events and the pilgrimages, it will be give you the answers. You can connect with Richard through his website richardlawrence.co.uk and also with Chrissy through her website astrologycity.com Boy, we really hope you enjoyed the show. I certainly did and thank you for listening and we look forward to your company next month.